So here we are, the day after Christmas. And, all right, quick check. Anybody have all your Christmas decorations put away already? Anyone's? No, haven't done around this. So too soon for that, right? My, all right, my guess is that not many people do just rush and put that all away. Here's my guess. My guess is that for most people, maybe you leave it up this week yet. Maybe somewhere around New Year's or shortly after, that's when we pack it up and put it away. There's kind of a spectrum for that, right? Or maybe, maybe you're like one of those people who live on my street where the Christmas lights are still on the house in July. Or, right? So we all have this difference in the spectrum of how soon we pack up and put away and sort of walk away from Christmas for another season, for another year. There's not any one timeline that defines that for everybody. But at some point, we do pack it up and we put it away. And we set it aside until we come around to it the next year. Well, I, I have been working through this series of Advent messages that led up to Christmas Day, and, and we've been using a metaphor that runs along with that, right? I've been talking about all these different things that have to do with airplanes and air travel and how that works. So we have talked in the weeks of Advent about layovers and being rerouted and that final runway landing approach. And yesterday on Christmas, we talked about arriving at the terminal gate, right? And you get off the plane, you're there, you've arrived. Now we can pack it up and put it away. But one more thing before we leave that today. One more thing on our way out of the airport is a quick stop by the baggage claim. Pick up those bags that whatever luggage you packed on the way in, when you're leaving and you go out of the airport, you stop by and pick up that luggage again on your way out. So let's talk about baggage. The baggage we bring in and the baggage we pick up on the way out again. I'm going to do that today with the similar pattern that we're going to look at something from the Old Testament that finds its fulfillment in the New Testament. And we're going to see in this story then in Matthew two examples. Two examples of people who have baggage. Baggage that they bring with them and baggage that they hang on to. And it all centers around this small town of Bethlehem. So I'm going to visit the story of the Magi. If you're really sharp, uh, you'll maybe remember that I began Advent four weeks ago with the story of the Magi, except we picked up the story then right at the moment the Magi left and Mary and Joseph had to flee to Egypt with Jesus. So today I want to back up and pick up that story again from the beginning where the Magi come to visit. But first, the signal for Bethlehem. Malachi, Malachi chapter 5, and I'll read the first five verses. And this will come up again in our Matthew chapter passage. Right? Malachi 5 says this, Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will rule over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to rejoin the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, 
and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. Then, Matthew chapter 2, and I'm going to begin this one right at the beginning uh, in verse 1, the story of the Magi. Matthew 2, beginning at verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, quoting Malachi 5. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. We know he was being a little devious there. His intent was not actually to go worship Jesus. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Baggage. So two examples in that passage, right? The, the Magi and Herod and what Matthew tells us is all Jerusalem with him. Two examples of people who bring baggage in some sense. Now, in the case of the Magi, this is literally true. They were travelers, right? They didn't take airplanes back then, but they were traveling. I imagine they had baggage. We don't know exactly what the baggage was, except for what Matthew tells us. They bring gifts, gifts for Jesus, gold, frankincense, myrrh, gifts for a king that they've come to worship. So we know that's in their baggage. We don't know what else. But, but let's talk about another kind of baggage, another kind of baggage we might note in this. And we use that word in different ways. Sometimes we refer to baggage as the past experiences a person carries with them. Things that have happened in our lives in the past that have influenced us or affected us or changed us in some way and we still hold on to that. Sometimes we call that baggage. Maybe you've heard that term before, right? Particularly for people who perhaps really struggle with past experiences, there's been a lot of trial in their lives, and sometimes we may say of people like that, that's someone who carries a lot of baggage. 
something from their past that remains with them. It's not unique to only a few individuals. You live long enough, you have baggage. We all do. Every one of us carries baggage of some kind. Experiences in our lives that have affected us, have impacted us, and we still carry it around. Two examples in today's story, then, of baggage. Baggage like that, because a glimpse into someone's baggage tells you something about them, right? I mean, it would be true of literal baggage. If you had travelers coming off an airplane in an airport and you were able to get a glimpse inside the suitcase, you would know something about what they were doing in that moment, right? If it's someone who's on a business trip, you would know because the baggage would contain, what, business suits and dress shoes and maybe a laptop computer, that kind of a thing. But if it's someone on vacation, all right, swimsuit, maybe a paperback mystery novel to read by the pool, flip-flops, right? You can tell by what's in the bags. What's in the baggage tells you something about the person who's carrying it. Same thing is true. The baggage we carry, the baggage we hold, it says something about us. So let's start today by considering the characters that we see in this story in Matthew. Let's think about their baggage. What are they carrying in that sense of their experiences that define who they are? Well, the Magi, we see, come with gifts for a king. They see the star and they follow that. They know what it means. They come, they find Herod, and they say, Where is the one who's born king of the Jews? We have come to worship their baggage tells something about that, that they are looking for the divine to be revealed. Not just a king in that sense, but if if a star would appear in the sky, that would be the kind of king who holds divine power. That would be one among those who are the gods in their ancient religions. We don't know who these magi exactly were, but they recognized that this came from above. So they go searching to worship. They are there to worship. Even a child, a baby, they bow beneath. That on their agenda, that they are there only to give their gifts. We read nothing in Matthew about any ulterior motives beyond that. right? They, they are not there, as far as we can tell, to, to make any kind of political alliances, right? They're they're not there to sort of curry in some favor to say, all right, let's get on this king's good side so that someday when we need the favor returned, it comes back to us, right? There's no hidden agenda in that way. They simply come and search to worship. And these magi, these are people of high rank. They are royal officials in their own right. But even with that, They're not too high above that to recognize their place of humility. That they are willing to humble themselves to bow down to a child and give their gifts. Their baggage tells us that. And who it is that they are and how it is that they come and what it is that they give to Jesus. In their obedience that when they are warned in a dream, don't go back to Herod, 
that they go back another way. Now, if you know anything about the landscape in that time, right, if they came from the east, they would have had to have likely then not crossed the desert, but they would have actually had to go north around the mountain ranges, come over Mount Hermon and down into Israel, the trade route that would go from those eastern kingdoms, the trade route that would come down and Now they're being told, go another way, don't let Herod know you're leaving. That would have taken some orchestrating to happen, right? I mean, this wouldn't have just been a simple, oh, you know, just punch a reroute into the GPS and and find a different way. It didn't go that way because even though our Christmas cards and our stories say that there were three of them, we know that we don't know how many there are. Right? We just know there were three gifts, but there may have been a, a whole host of magi that came. And to make a journey like that, they would have had to have had attendants with them. They could not sneak around in secret all that easily. Right? They would be noticed. So it would have been a difficult thing for them to sneak away without Herod knowing, without him seeing. But they do it. They are obedient to what they've been told to do. It tells us something about them, doesn't it? That they come before in awe and respect and are willing to give whatever it is they need to give in order to be obedient to this king that has been born, to Jesus. We see something of that in their their baggage. And then Matthew tells us one other detail. He says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Overjoyed. It it comes from a Greek word that means more than just happy, right? They were ecstatic. In fact, a a, a better meaning for that Greek word would, would be that they had a prolonged experience of gratitude, deep gratitude, right? A prolonged experience of deep gratitude, overjoyed. That it it was more than just a reaction, I think is what we're getting at there, right? It's more than just the reaction that maybe sometimes you and I think of joy as being. Something happens in our lives and whatever that is makes us joyful. That's not what Matthew's talking about. They didn't have this simple reaction of joy. No, They brought that with them. It was a part of their baggage. This deep gratitude. It was a part of who they were that they carried with them. Their baggage tells us that. They were overjoyed. And then Matthew turns it. Matthew turns it because then we talk about Herod. And if Matthew's description of the Magi is to say they were overjoyed, that they were people who carried deep, prolonged gratitude, Herod is the exact opposite. Matthew says when Herod hears about this king of the Jews, he is disturbed. That's putting it lightly. You read other English translations, maybe it says that he was alarmed or that he was frightened. The Greek word there is the word terasso, which we get the English word terrified from. That's closer to it, right? Herod was terrified. His reaction is one of terror. 
So while the Magi come in order to find the king so that they may bow down and worship him, when Herod hears the news, his reaction is to find the king so that he can be eliminated. The Magi see Jesus as one to be worshipped. Herod sees Jesus as a threat, a threat to his own power. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about Herod. Who is Herod? Well, I mean, Herod was at that time the king of Israel, but Herod was not rightfully the king. He did not come from the Jewish royal lineage, so not the rightful king of Israel by any means. He was installed as the king by the Roman Empire, and Herod did that in ways that shows what a shrewd and cunning politician he was. Right? So when, when Rome came in and took over Jerusalem, this was in the year 63 B.C., that Rome comes in and takes over Jerusalem. Herod at that time has enough influence that he can cozy up to the people of prominence in the Roman Empire, and he can gain for himself a political appointment. That Rome then knows, and Rome is assured that this Herod guy is going to do whatever Rome tells him to do. They can trust him with that. So that's where Herod goes, right? If you make me the king, I'll make sure everything here follows what Rome tells us to do. That's what happens. Now, Herod is also smart in the sense that he cozies up to all of the Jewish religious leaders that time as well. People who had no love for the Roman Empire by any means. But Herod knows if I can get all of these people on my good side too then I can win with everyone. That's what he does. So when Herod comes to a place of prominence and he receives funding by being able to collect taxes and be a part of the Roman Empire, Herod uses a portion of that to fund the religious activities in Israel. So he funds some of the temple activities in that, and he makes sure that all the religious leaders in Jerusalem at the time share in those riches that he makes those people wealthy and gives them places of political appointment and power underneath him so that he keeps them happy as well. You see the kind of person Herod is, doing what Rome tells him, but he's keeping the Jewish religious people sort of under his thumb as well by giving them money, giving them some power. That's Herod. Herod is corrupted by power. You take a peek inside Herod's baggage, that's what you see. He's consumed by power. And any threat that he sees coming to that power shows up when you see his baggage, right? Herod was ruthless that way. Other ancient historians of the time have noted that Herod even executed members of his own family that he saw as being a threat to his power to take over from him. Caesar Augustus is famously quoted as having once said, it is better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. He knew it. He had a reputation, a reputation that went all the way to the Caesar of how corrupted by power he was. So in this story in Matthew, Herod's baggage shows up We see the kind of person he is 
by the baggage he's carrying. And Matthew says, all Jerusalem with him. You know, that's a reference to all of those other Jewish religious leaders that he's cozied up to himself. It's a threat to their power too. Because if Herod goes, then they all go too. We see the alliances that take place there. The baggage tells us something about it. You see, then, it's not just something that tells us about who they were, but it also shows up as a part of who they are, and it shows up as a part of who they continue to be. Baggage, then, is not just a story of someone's past, but now baggage becomes something that defines who they are and will continue to be as they move forward. We see two examples of that, and it leaves us with the question today. What's our baggage? Right? What, what baggage are you carrying around? What's the baggage that we have in our hands as we come before Jesus? Baggage that brings us before Jesus in worship? Or baggage that drives us apart? That seeks some distance from Jesus? Consider what our baggage might be. What's in our baggage and how does that work for us? You see, because I think here's the tendency, here's my guess, that uh, in church in particular, we have this overwhelming urge to leave our baggage at the door. We do. That whatever those past experiences are, that we carry around, whatever those things are that have happened in our lives that that affect us in some way, whatever that baggage may say, you know, whether it's student at school and that baggage is, who are my friends and am I losing friends and who am I going to be buddies with and how does that work? Or baggage of, am I in the right job or in the right career and where am I going? Or baggage of the, the family and the relationships and the friendships that I hold on to. Or baggage of loss of family, loss of friendships, loss of some independence as we deal with aging or health issues or baggage of maybe what we see or think of as failures that have happened in our lives, things that have not gone the way we planned or wanted. Whatever that baggage is, we carry this urge to say, you know what, but when I come to church to worship God, can I just leave that outside for a bit? I don't want to bring that in here. I I want church to be the place where where I can be assured of God's love and and maybe get away from all of that for a while. I, I want to hear of God's love and his grace and I don't want all that baggage to get in the way. I don't want that to come in here with me. So we we leave it at the door. We check it at the gate. But here's the thing that happens when we do that. We may have a few moments in here where we can get away from that, but as soon as you leave this place, as soon as you walk back out that door, you pick that baggage up again, right? It's there waiting for you. So even though you may drop it by the door and say, I don't want that to be in here right now. I don't want that to be a part of what I bring in before God, before Jesus. If we do that, it just means we pick it up again on the way out because it's out there. We see those examples in Herod, in the Magi, and they show up in our lives too. 
that we face those same things. What are we carrying around and what are we going to do with it when we are confronted with Jesus, when we come before God? What does our baggage say about us? So what do we do about that? How do we take that? I'm going to suggest something different, right? I'm, I'm going to suggest that instead of leaving it outside the door and picking it up on the way out, that we bring it in. We take it in here with us. Whatever that baggage may hold, right? If, if that's an ugly suitcase full of failures or broken relationships or loss or hurts, or regrets, what could I have done differently so that things turned out a different way? Whatever is in that baggage, bring it in. Bring it in here for a moment. Think about what that baggage looks like. What does your suitcase look like? What's inside of it? As you consider the sin, the brokenness, the hurt, and what's in there. Can you picture it? Picture what that bag looks like. Now imagine this. Imagine this, right? We're at the airport and we've checked out, we've gotten off the plane and you're standing in the baggage claim area. You know what that place looks like. The conveyor belt comes and they slide down the chute and they go around the carousel and you wait for your bag to come. And we all identify our bags in different ways. Some people do that in ways that let them spot that pretty easily, right? They, They tie a bright piece of yarn around the handle or a or a unique bandana, or something, so that you know when that bag comes down, you can say, yep, that one's mine, I got it. So you're standing there, you're waiting. You see your bag come. That bag with the hurt, the loss, the sin, the regret, the brokenness. You see it. Picture that. It's down the chute, it's going around the carousel, it's coming towards you. It's yours to pick up. Just before it comes to you, someone else grabs it. There's Jesus. He steps in and he says, you know what? I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that bag. I'm going to take that regret. I'm going to take that hurt. I'm going to take that loss. I'm going to take that brokenness. I'm going to take that sin. I'm going to take this bag. I'll take it. And then he's got next to him another bag his own bag. In his bag, he's got perfect righteousness. The perfect righteousness that only God can have. And he says, here you go. You take this one now instead. I'm going to take your bag with all of the loss and the hurt and the brokenness and the sin. You take my bag with perfect righteousness. That's yours now. So, you can tell a lot about a person by their baggage. It says something about who they are. Let your baggage define you that way. But not the baggage that carries all of that brokenness. Because Jesus wants you to bring that here so that he can take that. And he wants you to leave here with baggage full of his perfect righteousness. That's for you now. That's your bag. 
Those are the clothes and the garments inside that you wear now. What do those clothes look like? Consider this. I'm going to read a few verses that come from Isaiah 61, okay? Isaiah 61, I'll just read the few verses at the beginning and the end of the chapter. Thinking about what's in that bag. Here's what it says. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom for the captives. And release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. And provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And then the end of that chapter. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. That's what's in your bag. That's what the baggage you carry says about you now. Because Jesus has made it yours. He's given it you, given it to you. You are now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's what your baggage should say about you because that's what God has given to you. So even though maybe the urge is there to leave that old bag by the door so that you can pick it up again on the way out, I'm urging you today, don't do that. Bring that old baggage in here because Jesus wants it. He's taken it from you. And he's given you new clothes to wear so that you leave this place then clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You are clothed in righteousness. Let that be the baggage that defines you so that when other people take a peek and see what kind of baggage are you carrying, what they see is someone who is clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Let that be what defines you. Carry that with you. Carry that with you humbly because we didn't earn it, right? We've done nothing to deserve it. But also carry that with you with pride because God loves you enough that he was willing to give everything so that you could wear his righteousness. Be proud of that that you are loved by God and you now glow and beam and radiate 
with the righteousness of Christ. Let that be the thing you wear. So as the weeks come and you pack up all the Christmas things and put it away, even when all those other reminders of Christmas are packed and gone, this is the gift that stays with you every day. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift that you've given to us, a a gift that so often is so much more than we understand. God, we confess, we acknowledge that we are people who often carry those old bags, the bags with our hurt, our shame, our regret, our failures, our sinfulness, our brokenness. Thank you for reminding us again today that you have taken all of that and given us your perfect righteousness instead. May we wear that then in ways that give us confident assurance in our faith and shine your light of salvation brightly for others to see as well. Amen. Would you please stand?